the Hit the Light podcast featuring Big Frog and Michael Castleberry is on the air. Covering classic metal and comedy from San Diego, California. So now sit tight and hit the light. The Hit the Light podcast is recorded live and uncensored. Big Frog in particular is not politically correct, so please don't be offended. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hit the Light podcast. This is me, Big Frog, and I'm going solo again today. Probably for the last time in a while because tax season is over and Castleberry will be back. And we'll be back at full strength and come up with some new good shit for you guys. But for this one, I'm going to do an episode that I've been planning to do for a while. But then I was waiting for his new album to come out. And then I got sick. And so now I'm still kind of sick. But it's like, fuck it. I'm going to do it anyway because I want to get it done. And this is the only time that I'm going to have time before we start with the new episodes again. So this is going to be the Ingve Malmsteen episode. Obviously, I knew I was going to do an Ingve episode sooner or later because he's one of the great, you know, influences of my life, really, for, for that matter. Um, I became aware of Ingve in 83 or so. You know, we, uh, we got magazines, Hit Parader and fucking circus magazine and stuff like that i was in spain at the time with my boys over there phil sylvia and the crew and um and we heard about this guy um ingui malmstein that's what it looked like when we read it in the magazine and so that's the way that we said it for a while you know uh and we heard about this guy who was you know the next fucking you know eddie van halen or the next randy rhodes or the next you know new great guy and um we hadn't heard him yet we knew that uh that he had gotten a demo to this dude named mike varney who worked for uh guitar player magazine and who um was starting a new record label called shrapnel records and he got a demo from this dude from sweden ingui and was so blown away by it that he immediately you know sent for the dude brought him to L.A. and started trying to um, put him in a band because, you know, that's what you did back then. There wasn't any avenue for, you know, really for, you know, just a solo guitar player. You had to be in a band. So the first band that they put him in was a band called Steeler, and that was with uh, Ron Keel and Rick Fox and dudes that were, you know, already famous in L.A., but, you know, but nobody really, you know, outside of L.A. knew who they were. So he was in that band, but I didn't hear that band. Like I said, I was in Spain, and, uh, you know, in Spain, there was no L.A. bands that were being heard in Spain yet, you know, apart from, like, obviously Van Halen, you know. But any of the other bands, the L.A. Uh, scene had not hit the big time yet. And in, and in, in Europe, we we weren't hearing about any of those bands. But the next band that he got in was Alcatraz, and that was with Graham Bonnet. Obviously, Graham Bonnet was in Rainbow, and Rainbow's huge throughout Europe, just like everything that ever came from the Deep Purple Tree was huge in Europe. So we heard that first, and uh, the album was um, No Parole from Rock and Roll. It was, you know, obviously a great record, the songs that were on it, you know, um, Island in the Sun, General Hospital, Jet to Jet, 
Hiroshima, Too Young to Die, Too Drunk to Live, Star Car Lane. These songs are classics to me now, you know. Um, but at the time, I didn't really give a shit about that. You know, it was Ingve. You know, it was fucking this new guitar player that just could fucking play a million miles a minute and fucking with ease, like he wasn't even trying. It wasn't like anything I'd ever heard before, you know. I thought for sure that it was fake. You know, I thought that they'd sped the tape up and, you know, were doing some kind of tricks to make it sound like that. It wasn't until I saw a video that I was totally convinced that this fucking guy was just out of this world. He was fucking, like, you know, incredible, like nothing that had ever been before and live he was even better i mean you know he's spinning the guitar around his neck he's throwing the guitar up in the air sometimes to me it seemed like when the guitar was in the air on the way down like before he even grabbed it all the way he was already playing fucking notes it was like he had sold his soul to the devil or something and fucking you know he just could do things that no fucking human that i had ever seen could do with the fucking guitar so of course i loved it and i couldn't get enough of it soon enough i got back home from spain and um and i had just missed alcatraz alcatraz had came through town i i didn't see them obviously because i wasn't there and uh but my ex-girlfriend named kathy she had seen them and she had actually met them. She met uh, Ingve. She met, and she's the one that actually told me that his name was Ingve, because I was telling her, "Yeah, this dude Ingve Malmsteen, whatever, whatever." She's like, "Ah, you're so stupid." I'm like, "What, man?" You know, she's like, "His name's Ingve." I could still like, you know, picture her mouth like mouthing the word Ingve, like you know, I was stupid, and she was having to show me. But um, anyway, so she met them, and according to her, Graham Bonnet tried to hit on her. You know, she was only 16 at the time, so that's neither here nor there, but whatever. That's how the story goes. Anyways, so I missed him. Uh, I never got to see Ingve with Alcatraz. It's a regret. You know, obviously not as great a regret as not having seen Randy Rhodes because I would later go on to see Ingve a bunch of times, uh, a million times. But it was uh, a regret nonetheless. And so when I got um, home... I, I got everything that I could that had Yngwie on it. I got the Steeler album, which, you know, it's kind of corny now, you know, but at the time, you know, I was 15, fucking, it was metal. It was much, it sounded more metal than than um, Alcatraz or any, you know, it, it uh, his guitar sounded more fucking metallic. I dug it, you know, uh, some of the songs, Cold Day in Hell, Backseat Driver, you know, Hot on your heels, you know. Um, they were very, very Ron Keel, you know. He wrote most of the songs. Ingve only got credited with writing, I think, two songs or helping to write two songs. So, uh, it, in essence, it wasn't really his band. He was just, you know, here, come and shred all over this. And he did. And it was great. You know, I loved it. I got also Live Sentence, which was the live album that he made with Alcatraz. And again, it was even better than the than the album to me because live, it was like you know Ingve is just in his fucking element. He's a live performer, and the fact that he could do all of that shit, which I thought was impossible, uh, not only in the studio but live, man, it was amazing. It was it was fucking amazing, 
And so I was all about it. I was all about fucking Yngwie, you know. Uh, they, you know, I had his pictures on my folders, and they used to call me Little Yngwie at school, you know. I fucking, I even got in a fight, I mean, over fucking that shit. I almost got killed by this fucking big fat dude named Carl because he fucking said, you know, Yngwie was gay, and I was fucking gay for liking him, and fucking all this shit, and I was like, fuck you, fat motherfucker, fucking whatever, and uh, my friend Tony Young stepped in between us, basically saved my life, he got fucking thrown across the room and broke fucking my friend Rob's mom's exercise bike, and that's when I woke up like, oh shit, I really don't want to fucking fight this fucking 500 pound motherfucker over some Ingve shit, but that's how fucking much I fucking, you know, was was uh, Ingve fucking disciple, and so then the first Ingve album came out, which was, you know, Rising Force. Now, at the time, it was, he was still in Alcatraz. They never said he was leaving Alcatraz or anything like that. This was just a solo album. And there had never been anything like that before. I mean, as far as I was concerned. I'm sure dudes like Al Dimiola and, you know, jazz guitar dudes and were doing guitar albums. But for a heavy metal dude or a hard rock dude or whatever to do a solo instrumental guitar album, it was unheard of. You know, so this was fucking great. You know, I mean, it was fucking more guitar than you could shake a stick at, as they used to say in those days. And I fucking loved it. And it had a couple of songs that had vocals on them. Jeff Scott Soto. And I loved those fucking songs, you know. They had, you know, corny ass, Ingve fucking uh, English as a second language ass lyrics, you know. Now your ships are burned and the evil has returned, you know. Shit like that. So it was fucking, you know, pretty corny, but I didn't give a fuck. And I thought the vocals were great, you know. Um, since then, I've come to find out that, you know, Jeff Scott Soto is like a polarizing figure. Some people love him. Some people hate him. Some people think he was just all right. Whatever, whatever, whatever. I fucking thought he was great. And everybody that I knew at the time also thought he was great. I didn't find out until way, way later that there was a lot of people that didn't like him. Whatever. I fucking loved everything about this fucking record. And so when I found out that he was leaving Alcatraz, I really wasn't that disappointed because I kind of liked this shit better. You know, in retrospect now, I mean, the Alcatraz songs are better and, you know, and it was more of a of a band band, you know, but you can't go wrong with either with either band, either the the initial Yngwie band or Alcatraz. I love them both. You know, um, it's fucking great. Like I said, I never got to see Yngwie with Alcatraz, but I did get to see um, the Rising Force band. And it was fucking great. I mean, because basically it was exactly what I expected it to be because I knew, I mean, when I heard Ingve, to me, I heard fucking Richie Blackmore sped way the fuck up. And I loved Richie Blackmore. And because, you know, it was because of Richie Blackmore that I wanted to get a, a Strat. And it was because of Ingve that I got the Strat. You know, it was because of uh, Richie Blackmore that I wanted Marshalls. It was because of Ingve that I got the Marshalls. You know, it was because of Richie Blackmore that I wanted a scallop fretboard. It was because of Ingve that I actually took a file to my fucking neck and ruined a fucking strat or two. So, yeah, I mean, I could see it 
even though you know Ingve would later on say, "Oh no, you know I'm I'm not influenced by any guitar players, not Blackmore, not anyone, you know Paganini. That's it. Well, that's pretty much bullshit. You know, I mean, especially now that I that I uh, can actually go back and listen to some of the old demos. I mean, there's a demo called Powerhouse. It's on YouTube, and it's from 1978. Ingve's 15. And it was before he really conquered all the sweet picking thing that he basically invented, you know. Uh, and he sounded exactly like Blackmore, which, I mean, it might sound to Inve like a diss, but it's fucking not. Because who the fuck could sound like Richie Blackmore at 15 years old? Fucking nobody, ever. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Nobody has ever been that great that soon. You know, I don't fucking Mozart. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, you know, he this kid's a fucking virtuoso at 15 years old. Making fucking four-track demos that fucking sound like better than some people's fucking records. You know, amazing, amazing prodigy, fucking genius. Fucking whatever fucking word you want to put on it. To me, it, it's all fair. I don't know why he likes to say that he that he didn't fucking get anything from Blackmore or whatever. I guess that's his fucking business. But when I saw him live, you know, he was exactly what I expected him to be. Exactly what I wanted him to be. You know, fucking dressed in black with the fucking strat. Fucking throwing his fucking guitar up in the air and fucking slamming it around and fucking... Every fucking thing that Blackmore did, but with way more fire, way more energy, and way more fucking, I didn't mean to say more fire, more energy and more youth, and just killing it, you know, and killing it much like Blackmore did, taking the stage from everyone who was on equal footing at the beginning of the concert. Everybody had their own space. Everybody's got their own solo. Everybody's got their own fucking, you know, shit to do. And and the guitarist just steals the stage because he's the fucking greatest dude in the band. That's what Blackmore did. That's what Ingve did at the beginning. And that's the fucking, that's the Ingve that I love the most. So now the second album comes out, Marching Out, and I got it right away. You know, right when it came out. And this album's more song-oriented, you know. It's only got three or four instrumentals on it. And um, and the rest of the songs have vocals. And there's some good shit on there. I'll See the Light Tonight, I'm a Viking, Disciples of Hell, Anguish and Fear. You know, these are, these are great songs. You know, again, they have a bit of the fucking corniness of the lyrics. But that's just part of Ingve by this point i had already fucking you know i am a viking i'm going off to war you know it's hilarious but you know i mean that's part of the appeal of ingve i think you know there's people who fucking worship ingve and and love everything he does there's people who fucking hate on Ingve and fucking criticize fucking the shit that he does. And then there's people who just kind of find him fucking like hilarious and kind of ridiculous. But, you know, so talented at the same time. And I'm like all three of those. You know, uh, 
I can see the fucking brilliance. At the same time, I see the corniness. And at the same time, later on in his career, when he really stopped fucking delivering, I fucking could get mad at fucking some of the shit that he does because it's just so fucking beneath him to me. Now, here was the bummer part. Because like I said, I like Jeff Scott Soto. But when the video came out for um, I'll See the Light Tonight, it wasn't Jeff Scott Soto in the video. It was some other guy with short hair who was like, you know, looked like he was trying to grow it out or something. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Well, come to find out that that guy was Mark Bowles. And so I was kind of bummed out because I knew when they came out on tour, it was going to be Mark Bowles. It wasn't going to be fucking Jeff Scott Soto. And I was really kind of bummed because, I mean, it was a young band just getting their fucking, just getting started, you know. One album under their belt of, you know, of actual songs and everything besides, you know, Yngwie's instrumental album, basically. So I thought, you know, fuck, man, this sucks. Why is it? Why is this happening now? You know, I mean, obviously, by that time, I was old hat to fucking uh, guys getting rid of singers. You know, Rainbow got rid of every singer fucking, uh, you know, Sabbath had already gotten rid of Ozzy and Maiden had gotten rid of Diano. It was a thing already. But, you know. I was really hoping that this was going to be a band that stayed together, you know. At, at the time, it was probably one of my favorite bands. It was one of the albums that I played the most, for sure. So, I didn't know what this new guy was going to sound like. You know, on the video, he's just lip-syncing to the, to the Jeff Scott Soto shit. So, I had no idea. So, the first time that I saw Mark Bowles was on that tour. And, uh, eh, he was alright. You know, he had kind of a high voice, um, not as much power as Jeff Scott Soto, I didn't think. But he did a good job, and it was fine. It was, you know, and besides, I was there to see Yngwie. You know, um, not to the extent that he would later think that he was the most important one, but obviously he was the most important one. And as usual, he didn't disappoint, you know. Uh, he did things on stage that looked like they were magic to me, you know, uh, there were times when he'd throw his guitar up in the air and it seemed like he started playing it before he really caught it, you know, like there was fucking notes flying off of it before he really fucking, I don't know, maybe it was fucking, uh, maybe it was fucking visual hallucination or maybe he sold his soul to the devil, I don't fucking know, but he was doing shit that I had never seen before and so... You know, I mean, Ingve was still at the top of his game, even if his band really wasn't to me, but whatever. So the next album is called Trilogy. Of course, I went and got it right away, you know, uh, and um, I had actually liked Mark Bowles singing live better than I liked on the album. Um, you don't remember, I'll never forget, it was a little bit poppy. You know, Liar, I guess that was a poke at uh, Jeff Scott Soto. Some of the other songs, Queen is in Love, um, you know, they were a little soft for me, whatever. But still in all, it was still Ingve. he was still shredding. I was still going to see him on tour and all that shit. Uh, he was still the best, you know. Now, 1987 comes along. For me, it was a huge year. I graduated from high school. I was in my first band. You know, um, I was playing guitar six, seven hours a day. 
really fucking into it. And then I heard that Ingve had gotten in a car crash and that it was bad. You know, um, he might not play again. He had nerve damage in his hands, shit like that. And I was like, oh, man. Like, you know, I mean, fuck, dude. This would be like my second fucking hero to fucking go away because of a fucking accident of some kind. And <clears throat> I was super bummed about it. At the same time, I was doing my thing. And I was kind of losing touch with music in general. Like, you know, the uh, albums that came out in 87, 88, 89, 90 were not, I didn't get into them as deeply and as, uh, you know, listen to them over and over and over as I did the um, the previous years. You know, it's, it's just anytime you get into something and you start doing it yourself, you tend to stop listening to the ones that came before you. You know, um, I'm doing stand-up comedy now. I love stand-up comedy. I've always loved it. But, you know... I don't watch as much as I used to. I don't listen to as much as I used to. I'm working on my own shit and fucking, you know, and really I don't want to have, you know, it leak over and fucking, you know, influence what I'm doing now or whatever. And that's kind of the way that it was then. So, you know, Yngwie was gone for a while. He was off my radar for a while. And then he came back with um, Odyssey which was with Jolyn Turner. Again, going and getting a singer that, you know, that was a rainbow singer, was a Blackmore singer. Obviously, he had heard him with Rainbow, with Blackmore, and liked him. And, you know, Jolyn Turner was in the band now. And to me, that made it the... The strongest band. I mean, you know, like from a uh, from a marketing standpoint, from a performance standpoint, from a record sales standpoint, from a hit single standpoint, all that shit. It wasn't gonna get better than fucking than Joe Lynn Turner with fucking Ingve. It was the next best thing to Joe Lynn Turner with Blackmore. You know, very much the same thing in in a sense you know and i fucking loved it you know there are a lot of people who think it's too poppy and fucking heaven tonight and fucking deja vu and you know the the lyrics that are you know by jolyn turner that are much better than any ingve lyrics you know or any other lyrics that anybody else wrote for ingve so fucking you know I mean, it's fucking great, you know. Now, of course, there's people who think, you know, it's too poppy, it's too soft, whatever, that don't like JoLynn Turner. Those are the same people that didn't like JoLynn Turner when he was in Rainbow. But I love JoLynn Turner when he was in Rainbow, so this was fucking just as fucking good, you know. And so this is the album, apart from the first two, that I fucking spun the most, you know, and fucking dug the most, and... um and, you know, I got to see them. I fucking went to L.A. to see them. You know, I fucking, um, I was into it again. You know, I, it was like fucking, it was like Yngwie was back, you know, to me. Now, there's a lot of people that say that, um, that his plane was never the same after the accident. Ah, I didn't notice that. Um, you know, maybe he's not, he wasn't playing as free and easy as he used to. 
but he was still fucking tearing it up. You know, there's no fuck, and there was still nobody that was doing it like him, even though he had influenced everyone from the time. I mean, I had albums from fucking Vinnie Moore, Tony McAlpine, Paul Gilbert, fucking Marty Friedman, Jason Becker. All these dudes were fucking doing the fucking sweet picking things, fucking arpeggio things, fucking million notes a minute, just like Ingve. But none of them sounded like Ingve. You know, um, nobody sounded like Ingve. You know, and I fucking, you know, I wanted to. I tried. I got the Strat. I bought his pickup set. You know, I bought his fucking same fucking distortion pedal and fucking amp and fucking, you know, but it, it was, it. you know, I mean, it sounded like shit, you know, because little did I know that, you know, a Strat wasn't really fucking with single coils, wasn't really a fucking heavy metal guitar. Marshalls were by this time kind of more for an older style of you know hard rock than they were for the cutting edge of heavy metal sound that I was going for. So, really, you know, I mean, uh, back then I was still dumb enough to think that you know that equipment had a lot to do with what you would sound like. Now I realize that Ingve would sound like Ingve on a fucking Les Paul through a fucking uh through a PV or he would sound the fucking same on a fucking, you know, strat through a fender amp or it, it wouldn't fucking matter. Ingve's Ingve and I'm not, you know, and nobody else was either as far as I was concerned. Unfortunately, I already knew that this band wasn't going to last like that. I mean, you got the original spotlight kid on stage with the new spotlight kid and there's only one fucking spotlight. It's that, you know, it just wasn't going to fucking work out. From what I gather, Inve and his and his other bandmates would, uh, you know, torture uh, Jolyn Turner about his wig because he wore a wig because he had, like, alopecia or whatever. So it was fucking, you know, it was one of those situations that was bound to blow up. And it was great while it lasted, you know. It was uh, Inve's best-selling album still, you know, they had a video and fucking on MTV, heavy-ass rotation. You know, um, more people knew who Ingve was than ever before, outside of just guitar players. And I really don't know why he fucking felt the need to fucking let it go so quick. But he did. And next thing you know, Jolyn Turner's out of the band. And now Goran Edmund is the singer in the band. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? You know, when you go from Jolyn Turner to Goran Edmund, it fucking, you know, it just like, to me, it gave me the impression that Ingve really just didn't give a fuck anymore. And he was just, you know, it was just Ingve and whoever else was in the band, you know. And and uh, when we would see them live, it was like, you know, the stage was pretty much Ingve's. you know. I, I remember him being... Uh, at the California theater where, and he, uh, started coming up to this, to the edge of the stage and the bass player was standing there who I didn't even know who that fucking guy was anymore. And Ingve basically like kind of pushed him out of the way and kind of told him to get back. And we just, we laughed our asses off because we thought that was like, you know, the height of fucking pomposity and fucking egomania, 
to fucking tell one of your bandmates to get the fuck out of the way, out of your fucking, you know, I'll get off my fucking stage, basically, or whatever the fuck. But little did I know that that was just the beginning, and it would get way worse than that. So now, you know, I'm just like, okay, Igve's too big for his britches. He doesn't fucking, he doesn't think it matters who's in the fucking band anymore. You know, the songs are fucking kind of whack. You know, uh, he did this, the, he did this album and the Fire and Ice with, um, with Edmund. And then he did Seventh Sign and Magnum Opus with Michael Vicera. And it just like, to me, it just really, it didn't matter to him who was in the band. It didn't fucking matter to me who was in the band. And on any of those four albums, there's not really a fucking, uh, a classic song or a song that I don't even think that he still plays live, you know. So to me, those songs, those albums are almost like fucking throwaways. As great as the playing is on them and everything, you know, fucking, uh, it's just not, it's not up to the standard that he had set for himself on the earlier records. And it was fucking sad for me. So basically, you know, during these times, you know, when I would listen to Ingve, I would just listen to the older shit. And uh, around this time, I started fucking getting into, like, trying to find video. You know, I um, had a video with uh, Live in 85 with um, Jeff Scott Soto. A video came out in 89, Trial by Fire, live in Leningrad with Jolyn Turner. I had that. I had the live uh, Alcatraz, live sentence or whatever it was. That's fucking amazing. You know, uh, I showed that to my girlfriend recently and she's just like, oh, yeah, that fucking that guy. fucking." And we had just watched the Crossroads movie with Ralph Macchio. So she's like, oh, yeah, he's like the fucking devil's guitar player in this fucking thing. He's fucking, you know not of this fucking earth, you know, and I'm like, yeah, no shit, I'm like, that's what I fucking, that's what I saw at the time, and that's what I continued to think for fucking all the way up to now, and now, in my opinion, this dude was making bullshit records, the greatest in the world making bullshit records is not fucking what you, what you hope for, he gets another guy, Matt Levin, to sing for fucking Facing the Animal, and then um, for Alchemy, Mark Bowles is back. So whatever. I mean, you know, I guess I like Mark Bowles better than I like the other two, the other three dudes. But still in all, you know, he I didn't like him as much as I like Jeff Scott Soto. So it was pretty much a fucking steady decline, you know, outside of a fucking, you know, Jeff Scott Soto and Jolyn Turner. The other singers were kind of whack, you know, um, but again, that's when it became increasingly, uh, apparent that the only thing that was necessary to make an Ingve album was Ingve, and everybody else was fucking secondary in that fucking endeavor. Another album that came out during that time was the Concerto album, Concerto Suite for Electric Guitar and Orchestra, which he did with some Philharmonic Orchestra, and, and, uh, it was great, you know. Uh, I had always been surrounded by people who thought, you know, heavy metal was fucking garbage music and just noise and it didn't require any talent or anything. So whenever I fucking, you know, could grab a real fucking instance of one of my guys showing off insane talent, 
whether it was fucking, you know, Dio singing Rainbow Eyes or fucking uh, Eddie Van Halen playing fucking Spanish Fly or whatever, I would fucking show it to people. See, look, this this is what the level of talent that my dudes have, you know. And this took that to a fucking, even fucking much greater level. You know, he was fucking a soloist in an orchestra and he solos on every song. And he fucking, you know, and they're all playing his compositions. And it was fucking amazing, you know. And so I would show it to people and fucking, you know, look, this this guy, Ingbe Malmsteen, he's fucking, he's a maestro. You know, little did I know that he would soon start calling himself that, but I'm pretty sure I said it first. So now he comes out with another album in 2000 called The War to End All Wars. And it's another whack record, and I'm just like, you know, kind of so fucking... I'm not going to buy Yngwie records no more, bottom line, you know. Uh, I'll still go see him and everything, but I'm not really trying to pay for this shit. I don't think I had bought several of the ones earlier, you know. It's just like, yeah, man, you know, I'm done with this shit pretty much. And then next thing you know, he goes back to the fucking Blackmore well and fucking scoops up Doogie White. He fucking has Derek Sherinian on fucking keyboards. And fucking another fucking great band again that he put together. And fucking, and a great record, which was Attack. And to me, it was like, I was so happy. You know, I was fucking like, yeah, fuck yeah, fucking Yngwie's back, you know, whatever, whatever. I mean, there was a couple of things that I, that I would have liked to change, you know, uh, I would have liked to have some fucking Doogie White lyrics on that shit. It didn't, you know, it's it's the it's the Ingve lyrics, you know. Um, and also, too, in the mix, uh, the voice is really low in the mix. I would have liked it, you know, especially with Doogie White. I like Doogie White's voice. I felt like it should have been louder in the mix. His Some of his lyrics would have fucking added something. But still in all, I thought it was the best album that he had made you know, since Jolyn Turner left, and it was heavy, and so that was another added fucking bonus, you know, so I was like, hell yeah, you know, he's back on track, and then just like that, Doogie's gone, fucking shit, you know, but you couldn't really miss him for too long, because he was replaced with Tim Ripper Owens, who, you know, despite me fucking hating his politics, he's a great fucking singer. You know, I had already heard him a bunch in fucking Judas Priest. And uh, I had seen him with Judas Priest. I knew he was fucking good. And those two albums, Perpetual Flame and Relentless, are fucking great too, man. You know, I mean, they've it's got fucking good songs, fucking heavy, fucking Ripper Owens, fucking Ingrid Shredding, you know... The names of the album make me laugh. Fucking Perpetual Flame is another fucking, uh, another jab at the fucking, you know, ridiculousness and fucking gayness of Ingve. but whatever. You know, like I say, it's part of the appeal, you know. I mean, I fucking, you know, I look at Ingve the way, like, a lot of people fucking look at, like, Glenn Danzig, you know. Like, if you like Glenn Danzig and you're a fan of Glenn Danzig, then obviously you like what he does. But he's also fucking, you know, corny and ridiculous and, you know, does a lot of laughable shit. And that's what Ingve does, too, you know. So I don't know if he would like to hear that or not, but it just is what it is, you know. And, I, you know, part of it for Ingve is he's from somewhere else. And 
you know, there people, other people's ideas of what's cool doesn't always mesh with my fucking San Diego, California idea of what's cool. So a lot of the shit that he did made me laugh, but still in all, you know, I was a huge fucking Ingray fan, and I was glad that you know he got a real singer and a real band, and it, it, I was looking forward to seeing him, and it was going to be a great show, and and I bought both of those records and spun the fuck out of them. You know, good, good shit. I still listen to those, too. So those are the those are the ones that are, you know, on my fucking playlist, on my Ingve playlist. The ones with Jeff Scott Soto, the ones with fucking uh, Jolyn Turner, the ones with fucking Doogie White, and the ones with Ripper Owens. Those are the essential fucking Ingve album. And, of course, the Alcatraz records. Now, I would be totally remiss if I didn't fucking say that I've seen Alcatraz in its new incarnations. I've seen Graham Bonnet, you know, with his bands, which basically is Alcatraz, you know, anyway. And so I've seen guitar players try to play English shit. And they can't, or they don't, or they can't, you know. And uh, like, you know, I mean, the first one that I saw obviously was Steve Vai in Alcatraz. And he didn't really try to play Ingve shit, you know, he's fucking Steve Vai. He played Steve Vai, you know, in, in the tonality of of the songs, but he didn't really try to do Ingve. you know. Uh, he gave a couple of nods to Ingve here and there, but he really kind of played his own shit, you know. Um, then, many years later, I saw Graham Bonnet's band, and his guitar player was a dude named Conrado Pesinato, and... Uh, great guitar player, you know, and he would stay, he would stay to the shapes that Ingve played. Uh, he would leave a lot of the notes out. Let's say that Ingve uh, solo had a million notes in it. He might play half a million of those notes and leave a, leave a half a million to your imagination or whatever. Um, still a great guitar player. If you went and saw them live, you know, you you probably wouldn't even notice if you were fucking sitting in the back or whatever. But you know, if if you have the live video, uh, which I which I have, I mean, I'm a like you know, if you know, if you listen to the show, I'm a concert video freak. You know, I'm all about the game tape, and I have a lot of Alcatraz game tape, and fucking you know, he on the tape you can really tell how much of the English shit he's not doing. You know. Um, the next time that I saw Alcatraz, Joey Tafoya was in the band. Joey Tafoya is a personal guitar hero of mine. You know, I, I had his instructional video back in the days. I had his first solo album that came out on Shrapnel. You know, I was a huge Joey Tafoya fan. Then he was gone for a lot of years. I didn't know what, what the hell happened to him. Uh, then he resurfaced in Jag Panzer. I saw him, uh, with Jack Panzer here, and he was fucking shredding his ass off, and then he joined Graham Bonnet's band, and when he played the Ingve songs, he was really going for it, note for note, Ingve. You could tell that he wasn't really that comfortable doing it. You could tell it was difficult, but I thought he fucking pulled it off. Not to the fucking level that Ingve does it. Obviously, I mean it, it's Ingve's shit. But he did a really good job. But still in all, I've never seen anybody play Ingve like Ingve. 
I don't know if anybody can. Um, I know that Joe Stump is in the new Alcatraz. He's a fucking monster. I expect that he's going to, you know, do the do the English shit note for note. And we'll see, you know, uh, maybe he can pull it off. I wouldn't be surprised, but I haven't seen it. And so up until right this moment, I have still n- never seen anybody um, play Ingve like Ingve. So there you go. I mean, you know, even to this day, fucking however many years after, you know, he burst on the scene and fucking took it by storm, he's still one of the fucking technical masters of, of the world. And there's nobody like him. And that concludes the fucking praise section of this podcast. Because everything that Ingray has done since then has been fucking whack. Um, spellbound. Uh, he plays everything. And, you know, he's not a fucking bassist. He's not a fucking keyboardist. He's not a fucking singer. And it shows. You know, uh, the songs are whack. Fucking drum machine is whack. The fucking auto tune is whack. Everything's fucking whack, you know. And he did it all again on fucking uh, World on Fire. And it's just, I don't need to hear anybody sing. You're not a singer, dude. You know, I mean, it's, you never were. I mean, he sang on his original demo and it was terrible. He's gotten better at singing since then, probably because his accent is not as thick as it used to be. But obviously, nobody heard that demo and say, yeah, this is a guy that should sing. And he still is not a guy that should sing. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. I don't know what the fuck his problem is. But he obviously thinks that he's the only fucking one that matters. And there you go. So now, just this month, he came out with Blue Lightning. And Blue Lightning is supposed to be his fucking blues record. Which, it's not. It's fucking, you know, shredding in pentatonic. Bad covers. Fucking bad singing. You know... It's terrible. I mean, it really is terrible, and to and to have it ha- have that from you know one of the greatest musicians of his time is really fucking you know it's embarrassing. Really, you know, uh, he uh, he's coming to San Diego May fourth. I'm gonna be out of town, so I'm gonna miss it. I totally would have gone. You know. Uh, I'm still trying to find if I can fucking catch him somewhere else because I fucking still love the fucking guy. But um, I downloaded a uh, audience recorded video from YouTube and put it on the TV. And what he does live now is just ridiculous. I mean, he has 50,000 stacks on the stage. They take up the whole fucking, the whole back of the stage The drums are no longer in the middle. The drums are off to the left corner of the stage. In front of the drummers where the bass player stands. 
And in front of the bass player are the keyboards and the guy who plays the keyboards and sings on some songs. And so they're all stacked. You can't see the basses at all. Like during this video that I watched, you see uh, Ingve's roadie more than you see the, the bassist, you know. And uh, I don't even know what the fuck they're on the stage for. Like basically they're on the stage, I guess, so we could yell at them if they fuck up or I don't know. I don't know what the fuck, I don't know what the fuck, so basically, I mean, if he had just a tape with backing tracks and just him on the stage, it would basically be the same, you know, except for he can't sing those, those old songs like fucking, you know, from the first album, so this guy who, who plays keyboards, he sings them, he's obviously a keyboardist who could kind of sing, He's not a singer who also fucking shreds on keyboards, you know. So, man, it's whack. It's fucking get back to the upteenth degree to where, like, you know, these dudes don't even fucking, I don't know why they're on the stage, you know. And it, it's ridiculous. And I hate it. But what can you do? I mean, you know, he's the fucking maestro. He fucking says what goes and, and, and there it is. And from his interviews, because he keeps it fucking like, he says a lot of ridiculous shit nowadays in his interviews because he basically, on this last interview that I read, he says he knows he could make a better record. He knows he could have a better band. He knows he could do a better tour, but fuck it. Basically. You know, and... It's disappointing because there's other dudes like, you know, like by contrast, I saw Uli John Roth a couple of weeks ago uh, in Ramona and he's got six guys in his band. He's got another guitar player in his band and his singer also doubles on guitar. So there's, you know, times when there's like three part guitar harmonies going on. Ingve would never do anything like that, you know, fucking... Uli's fucking trying to put the best band out there that he can. He's trying to put the on the best show that he can. And fucking, and, you know, obviously it's costing him more money. And he's playing smaller places than Ingve. So, obviously his profit margin is smaller than Ingve's. But he's doing it anyway because he wants to put on the best fucking shit he can. And Ingve's not, you know. And I guess, you know, that's because probably Uli doesn't care about fucking driving Ferraris in Miami or whatever the fuck it is, you know, um, or doing a bunch of coke. I don't know what the fuck it is. Uh, there's always been those rumors about Yngwie with coke. I didn't make it up. But anyway, uh, he's not as big a egomaniac as Yngwie is, you know. He fucking, he earns his owning of the stage, you know. It's not just where he's the only one that gets to walk around the stage. Anyways, so basically... That's all that I have to say on Ingve. You know, he's fucking brilliant. He's fucking ridiculous. He fucking does shitty fucking things. And it's all wrapped into the fucking enigma that is fucking Ingve Malmsteen. And, you know, and far as I fucking know, he might put together a fucking kick-ass band again right now. You know, he might do one last tour with Alcatraz. I don't fucking know. I, I have no idea what the future, he might fucking just switch lanes and completely throw me for a fucking loop and, you know, and, and I'll go buy his fucking record again, 
you know, um, it doesn't seem like that's what's going to happen. I don't expect that any of that's what's going to happen. I expect he's going to put out some couple more fucking whack-ass records before he calls it a day, you know, and, I, and I'll continue to go see him until he fucking, until he fucking is sitting up there fucking on a fucking rocking chair. If that's what he decides to do, I don't give a fuck. I'll keep going because, like I said, you know, it's Ingve. I'm attached to this shit. I still have a white Strat that's set up like a mix between his and Blackmore's with the scallops and the fucking everything. And, you know, and deep down in there somewhere, I still want to fucking be Yngwie. Just like I still want to fucking be Blackmore and I still want to fucking be Rhodes. You know, I don't really know. Like, you know, obviously Randy's my number one dude. He died. So that's not likely to change. You know, he's not going to do some fucking gay shit that I fucking hate now. Uh, so, you know, he's probably always going to be my dude and fucking, you know, the number two, Ingve could very well be number two. Fucking, uh, Blackmore could be number two. Fucking Ace Freely could be number two. Fucking Uli Roth could be number two. Fucking Gary Moore could be number two. There's, you know, many dudes that could possibly fit that number two spot at any given time, but Ingve is definitely right there, you know, and... If it wasn't for the fucking whack-ass shit he's been doing lately, you probably would be cemented at number two. So, basically, that's all I have on Ingve. If you're a fucking huge Ingve fan, then you already know all this shit that I fucking just told you. And if you're not a huge Ingve fan, then go back and get some of the early fucking records. Get back, get every fucking piece of video that you can fucking, that you can see on this fucking guy, because... He's one of the amazing guitar players of all time. And uh, I don't think, you know, that there's very much that he can't do. And there's not very many people that can do what he does. So, you know, check it out, man. Ingve fucking Malmsteen. Until the next one, for the Hit the Light podcast, this is Big Frog and I'm out.